0: This episode of Recording Studio Rockstars is brought to you by OWC, Whisper Room, and Eventide. So get ready to rock
1: we can get bogged down in the details of creating art, right? When you're making an album and you're thinking about all these things and making sure the deadlines are met for the tour and the publicity campaign and all this stuff, and it's sort of like, you know, the same thing can happen where you sort of get lost in the all of the details and forget that, you know, oh, by the way, I actually made something that's really gonna touch people's lives, you know?
0: Welcome to Recording Studio Rockstars. I'm Lid Shaw, and this is the podcast created to help you become a rock star of the recording studio. If you're sick of bothering the neighbors when you are trying to record your music or ruining your recordings with outside noises, but you're not ready to spend a ton of money on permanent studio construction yet, then consider getting a Whisper Room ISO booth for your studio. Whisper Room offers the instant solution for a comfortable, quiet, ventilated, portable ISO booth with easy line of sight for recording vocals, guitar amps, or even drums. Get 10% off the 4x4 or 4x6 booth when you mention recording studio rock stars to whisperroom.com or click the link in the show notes below what do michael brower joe ciccarelli mike gazowski dave pensato and george massenberg all have in common They all have great things to say about Eventide. Originating in a New York City basement in 1971 with the original Instant Phaser and H910 Harmonizer, Eventide continues to transform the sound of music with the iconic H9000 Harmonizer, visionary guitar effects like the H9 pedal, and now a whole suite of incredible plugins for your studio. Go to eventide.com to learn more or click the link in the show notes below. This episode is sponsored by OWC, Otherworld Computing, which you can find at OWC.com, your trusted source for memory and speed upgrades, DIY installs, and used Macs for your studio. Let OWC focus on keeping your studio Mac in killer condition so that you can focus on making great music. Why ditch your existing Mac when you can take your studio far into the future with OWC? Learn more at OWC.com and learn how you can supercharge your studio Mac. The speed to create, the capacity to dream. Find out how awesome your Mac can be at OWC. Hey, Rockstars, it's your host, Lid Shaw, welcome back to Recording Studio Rockstars, bringing you into the studio to learn from recording professionals, so that you can make your best record ever and be a rock star of the studio yourself. My guest today is Jessica Thomason, manager at Echo Mountain Recording Studios in beautiful Asheville, North Carolina. Under her direction, the studio has evolved into a world-class destination, featuring a full range of digital and analog capabilities with an amazing selection of gear and a wide variety of credits with artists like War on Drugs, the Avett Brothers, Dirks Bentley, Iron and Wine, Flogging Molly, Steve Martin and the Steep Canyon Rangers, and many more. And through volunteering and establishing private companies and nonprofit organizations, she is and has been committed to helping the future of music and promoting the city as a musical destination. Jessica also co-founded the Asheville Music Professionals, a nonprofit organization committed to providing education, advocacy, connection, and collaboration in the music community. She's also co-owner of Acme, a publishing company that helps to connect artists with licensing opportunities. And in 2013, she was chosen as Entrepreneur of the Year of the City of Asheville by the Asheville Chamber of Commerce, by the Asheville Chamber of Commerce for her work in music. In 2014, she started up Jet Up Productions, a full-service event management and production company, and has curated a number of festivals and events, such as the Breeders' Cup, Asheville Goombay Festival, Beer City Festival, Brewgrass, RHS Community Foundation Fundraiser, featuring Gladys Knight and Little Big Town, and many other projects. Her latest event, Connect Beyond Festival, is an arts and literature Festival featuring creative talent from around the world with a mission to inspire change for social justice through music, film, art, and literature. Jessica, Jessica has also <clears throat> Jessica has also been a featured speaker at TEDxNat. Uh, let me say that again. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> right. How many times do we say Nashville, Asheville, and mix those up? All the time. Jessica has also been a featured guest. Uh, Jessica has also been a featured speaker at TEDx Asheville to present the power of music and how it affects all of our lives. And of course, I have included links to this video and others from Echo Mountain Studios and the festivals she's working on in the complete show notes. So make sure to look for that, Rockstars on your mobile device or at rsrockstars.com. So I'm psyched to talk today to Jessica about managing a world-class studio and helping to make the world a better place through music. Please welcome Jessica Thomason to Recording Studio Rockstars. Jessica, my lady, are you ready to rock?
1: I am ready to rock.
0: It's great to have you here and and, um, be hanging out with you for a minute. I know you are a busy, busy woman. I think you said you've been traveling for something like six weeks and then just sat down for a moment to join us on this interview. So thank you for that.
1: I'm glad to be here.
0: Jessica, give us a brief introduction in in your own words into how you got started out in uh, music that kind of led you to this position of uh, running a world-class studio.
1: I, my, my love of music started from a really young age and I had my, I sort of stumbled into my first studio experience when I was 16. I grew up um, just outside of Detroit and had the opportunity to come in and sing background vocals on a hip hop track in Detroit at a studio and sort of just, you know, from there fell in love with music and wanted to do I wanted to know more about production but I also, you know, I was I was pretty young at the time and so you know, there's a great rave scene happening in Detroit then and I oh. used to I had some friends that were DJs and it was pretty much anything I could do from basically carrying crates of of <laughs> vinyl into abandoned warehouses and things like that that got me started. Um and then I, I you know, I moved to Asheville when I was 21 and, um, went back to school. I studied theater. So I studied like, um, um, stage management and sound design and stage design. And so I had run sound just, you know, on a little crappy eight channel, 12 channel board for, for theater productions in school. And then I got a job at the orange peel, which is a venue music venue in town. And I just sort of lucked out with, Steve Wilmans who owns Echo Mountain was looking for somebody to be his assistant and just turns out he was also opening a studio at the same time and one of the things that I'm I'm good at is getting a business off the ground it's something that I really enjoy doing so I like all the pieces that you have to come together to actually get something you know to fruition so he uh, I did an interview with him which was great because I was working at the Orange Peel and then doing construction at the time too, uh, on the side. Construction, and- <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was like, I was, I, I remember, I was pretty miserable at the time when I got the call. I was um, uh, caulking windows in like forty degree weather on a forty foot ladder outside, and at a house, and and then painting on the inside with one of those big propane jet heaters. And I got a call from a guy that was at the studio that was like, my boss is looking for somebody and my, you know, this is, I'm sure Nashville's like this, but the Asheville way is like, oh, my sister lives next to your boyfriend and blah, 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 blah. And heard that you were looking for a job. And one thing led to another. I had an interview and then I was hired the next day. And that was over 13 years ago.
0: Wow. That's pretty awesome story. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And I, I it's funny to hear you talk about like, you know, the rave scene. I just I'd kind of forgotten about the rave scene. Did you get the um did you get like all the all the accoutrements of a of a true raver? Did you have day glow clothing and, you know, um goggles and things like that or not? No,
1: I didn't, you know, because I and I don't remember that as part of the rave scene from back then, you know, when this was mid nineties. Um, it might be just that I've forgotten from those days, but, um, I, I mean, there, I definitely remember glow sticks, but I don't remember <laughs> like, like the later rave days, um, you know, and seeing with kids with pacifiers and all that stuff. I'm like, we didn't have that. I don't
0: I <laughs> kids with pacifiers. That's right. You
1: know, it's just, um,
0: I think I saw was, that in Chicago too. So maybe it was different depending on, you know, the different areas too. regional raves.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then, again, this was in Detroit, so it was like Plastic Man and Richie Houghton and people like that. And, um, right on.
0: Um, yeah. Well, so and uh, tell us a uh, give give us a little bit of a brief introduction to who Steve Wilman's is too.
1: So Steve is the owner of Echo Mountain Recording Studio, and he's originally from California. He's from the San Diego area, and Steve had a a recording studio all through the 90s in uh, Seattle called Stepping Stone. And so he was there for all the 90s grunge stuff that came through. And then he had a partner with that. And then they sold the studio to a couple of Microsoft millionaires. And Steve knew, and then he was just doing freelance recording. He went back to California, went to LA. He was doing a bunch of uh, freelance Engineering there, and then he helped a friend of his move to Asheville, and he just kept extending his ticket to stay longer and longer because he really enjoyed the city. And then his friend that he had helped move had a had another mutual friend that had the church that we have. So you know, our our first studio that we built was is in an old First United Methodist Church that was built in 1926, and so he had the church under contract and wasn't really able to swing the financing. And Steve walked in and took a look at the building and was just like, I want to put a studio in here. And so he bought the building back in 2004 and then took two and a half years to renovate it to get it up. And we opened in May of 2006 for the, can, for the first studio.
0: Can you describe um, physically, you know, give us sort of a mental walkthrough of what how what this church studio looks like and and how... Maybe so that we can understand how it goes from church to functioning studio, just just yeah. conceptually.
1: Sure, sure. So the you know the sanctuary, you know, with the cathedral ceilings, is basically where our tracking space is, and then where the what where the pulpit was is where we actually built the control room, and so which is kind of cool, you know. Is it that. is
0: it the mixed position where you used to speak to the congregation? Yes, that's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And so, you know, we tried to keep as much original to the space as we could as well. So, all of a lot of the wood is original that you see. We even reused some of the doors that were already in the church. We just split them and ice, you know, and insulated them. And then there's, you know, uh, three isolation rooms that are off of the main tracking space, and then as well as, um, Another storage space at where we keep all of our, you know, cables and our, um, headphone boxes and everything, but is also can be used as another amp closet if needed. So, and, you know, and that's obviously, as people know, like, you know, you come to these studios like ours with the big rooms to, to be able to track as much live as possible.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So it's really, it's with the, the intent to, um, em- enable, Musicians to sort of like play in the same room together and get a great recording, as well as isolate. Um, but so in the on the website, I noticed there are pictures of some of the construction, and it, in you know the first, you know timber framework going up, you kind of realize that this is a church, and you just sort of build rooms inside the big room that's in the church.
1: Right. Yeah. So you can see, like, if you go to the history or about us on our website, you see that that's the control room, which is where that first picture is where the pulpit was. And so we built that um, within that space. And then same thing with the isolation rooms, like the it's the same, you know, the structure is there is what it was. And then we just built the isolation rooms out to um, be able to, to give you some options, but still leave a pretty expansive, uh, space in the sanctuary.
0: Yeah. I think it's just a cool concept. You know, when you, when you walk into a big space and you first think about how would I use this, you know, you might be inclined to think, well, if we need a control room, we're just going to have to like have a room off to the side somehow. When in fact you don't, you can literally, if you've got a big, huge space to start with, you can just build a room right there in the middle of it and, and make that into a control room. So I thought that was cool.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, didn't you guys also work with a, a notable designer? Uh, maybe yeah. no, is notable. Notorious is the wrong word. Notable is a good one.
1: <laughs> notable is a good word. Yeah. George Augsburger. He, he's basically designed both of our studios for us. And that was a really cool experience uh, working with, with George and having him come in and tune the rooms, you know, just because he's just so good at what he does. And so watching him come into the control room and play James Taylor and sit there and listen, and then – because, you know, obviously, like, he does the specs for the space, and then we hired local people to, you know, local contractors who were incredible uh, r- restoration contractors and people who had experience with um, – you know, building acoustic spaces, you know, that would needed to be that the acoustics were important in, um, they, they did a great job, but you, and then you have George come in and, and even, you know, even the custom, our custom George Augsburger mains we had built by these wow. guys. So having George come in and just tweak everything and watching him s- stand there in the control room and, you know, there's, with the compressed fiber board that's wrapped in the fabric, that's different densities and whatnot. He's like, this one needs to change. This one's needs to change. And just sort of pointing at the different parts of the wall and just making sure that things like that are, um, happening, you know, it's just, Mm -hmm. it was, it was really cool to, to see him work.
0: So does that, did that give you like a, an understanding that, the design happens and that people can build it, but then there there needs to be some flexibility to still be swapping a few things out before you get to the end of a, a build like that,
1: yeah, absolutely and then you know, and then there's all the other things that you don't think about, for instance, so George designed the space for us right in the in the tracking space in the in the control room. well, then the city of Asheville came in and said, well, you have to put a handicap ramp in order to get into the control room. Right. Which then meant that we had to read, de- you know, George had to go and redesign the control room because we had to take off whatever, uh, let's say four or six feet to be able to, which was essentially going to be part of the control room. That was now going to be a handicap ramp. Right. So he had to go back and, and redesign based on the fact that we were losing four feet of space. So.
0: Wow. That's gotta be challenging as sort of a designer and, you know, even, somebody like yourself helping to manage the building of the space. Um, but hopefully if you, if you anticipate that there might be things that come back from codes and in the city about that kind of thing, then it doesn't throw you off course. Um, let me think. What else did I want to ask you about that? What, what were some other things that you felt like you learned? I, I don't want to put you on the spot about, you know, tech stuff too much, but I do know that you know a lot about the tech of recording and, and, building and managing the studio. Um, What were some other things that you remember learning about what goes into a proper studio design at that point, just by observing it all?
1: Oh man, I learned so much. I mean, I, I, I literally, that's fortunately, I love, I'm a nerd for anything new and I love to learn new things. So for me, I had only just such a basic understanding of how recording you know, or, you know, just how signal flow worked and things like that. And I have to say that being, having the opportunity to be here from the very beginning, right? Like the, the, when I started, the console was in the room, but it wasn't hooked up to anything. So I got to actually work with the electricians and, and pull all of the cable for the patch bay to the, to the mic panels um, for all the tie lines throughout the studio. And so just having an opportunity to do everything from that to one of the first things that I had to do in the studio was take our, um, our two track machine apart, right. And send, send it to ATR to, um, get worked on. And so, and again, this is a, before the, before the studio is open and, and, uh, you know, I'm taking the, and Steve's like, I need you to take the, uh, the ATR one Oh two apart and ship it to Ampex to, or to ATR to get, to fix, Mm -hmm. to get fixed. And, um, I was like, I, I don't want to touch this thing. I don't know what this does, (laughs) 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 but I did. And then I had to have like, I had to have a box built for it. And so I had to, you know, basically pull it apart, pull all the Pull all the cards out of it, wrap everything up, and send it. And then I sent it to ATR, and they called me. And Steve wasn't here; he was in California at the time. And I was just sort of paranoid as to like what I what I was going to do wrong. You know, it's so funny. I have so I, it, I have a lot of empathy for our interns that start here, and they're like, you know, <laughs> don't want to touch a mic, or they're very delicate because they're afraid they're going to break. So then, like, trust me, I understand what you're going through. Yeah, I've been there. Um, but ATR called uh, once they got it and I was so scared that they were going to tell me that, that I had screwed it up, you know, that it got broken on the way there. And, and they called and they said, Hey, we just wanted to call and tell you that, uh, we're pretty sure this is one of like the first 15 of these ever made. Wow. And I said, really? And they said, yeah. And I said, but I mean, is it okay? They're like, yeah, it's fine. I mean, obviously it it needs work, but I was like, but it didn't like it got there fine. And they're like, yeah, yeah. I was like, whew. (laughs) All right. So, you know, so I really learned so much about, um, you know, all sorts of aspects of the business from that to, you know, the other thing that's really interesting, which is not necessarily technical, but you build a place and you hope it has vibe, right? Because that's important. Yeah. Does it feel good in the space? Do people want to be here? Does it give you this sort of feeling of wanting to be at your creative best? And as we're putting the studio together, you know, I, I'd had very limited experience in in studios at that point, you know? Um, and I was like, I hope so, you know, because I had done a ton of research and bought all these books and did all this research online about all these other studios. And and it, I did end up going to Nashville and I toured a ton of studios. but um, But yeah, that was a that was a big part of it too. So, and then also just having options that are different for people, you know, it's like putting mic panels in the bathroom, for instance, which is something that we've done in both studios.
0: Right. Oh, Cool. What what, what have you guys found the bathroom as a useful space for recording?
1: Uh, we'll use it for, we'll reamp things in that space, but we'll also use it just to, I mean, all sorts of things. We've done everything from record, like djembe in the bathroom to just putting a guitar amp in there to reamping something else that we've recorded and put in there.
0: If you've heard uh, a project that somebody else did in your studio, are you able to listen to it now and go, Oh yeah, that was recorded in the bathroom. Does it have a sound to it?
1: It, yeah, it does. I would say that, you know, it's funny. I don't think I'm ever, um, active listening enough to something that's been done and where I'm like, Oh, that unless it was something that I was specifically listening for, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, but it's funny. Cause I was just, um, uh, when I was in Vegas and I was walking through one of the hotels, a song came on that was recorded at the studio. And it's funny cause I can always pick it out. Like even in a, in a crowded space I was like, oh, we recorded this song at Echo Mountain. And <laughs> nice. um but it's That's a not, good feeling, right? Yeah, it's always cool. But in terms of like, have I can I sit there and listen and be like, oh yeah, this was recorded in the bathroom. I think that I would be able to tell if I was actively listening to it, but if it was just passive, I'd just be like, oh, this is something like I can't tell you what I heard in, you know, Planet right, right. Hollywood that I was like, oh, this was recorded. Oh, that that uh, you know. That's that guitar, um, amp was, re- that's, that's the Supero in the, in the bathroom, in the API studio. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's probably a good thing. It means that you're enjoying the music instead of, uh, instead of getting, you know, you're not, you're seeing the forest, uh, instead of the trees.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and well, I guess s- that's probably one of the things that I, I, you know, not being a classically, not being an actual classically trained engineer. I've, I, I, I sort of, keep a little bit of the, um, you know, I remove, how do I say this? It's like, I like to say, I know enough, just enough to be dangerous and that sort of thing. But, uh, also there's an element of like keeping myself removed one, one degree of separation so that, um, I can still be involved, but also I don't have to actually run a session.
0: Have you had a chance to sing on any more hip hop records?
1: Um, I've definitely been a part of like uh, group hand claps and gang vocals and things like that in the studio throughout the years, which always gives me so much anxiety when I, I do know, it.
0: I didn't know you guys had <laughs> gangs in Asheville.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. We do. It's like, it's, it's, a, it's seriously West Side Story here.
0: Nice, man.
1: Nice. It's um, what you don't know about Asheville After Dark is could. Could, would surprise
0: you I'll tell you uh, well I, I actually in in uh full transparency for the past week I haven't been drinking beer or, or anything else but I will say that I have been known to be quite a fan of beer and I know that Asheville has a tremendous you know micro brew scene and it's a great place to go if you if you enjoy food good great food and great beer and great weather and great hiking all that stuff yes
1: yes all that stuff we have a uh, more breweries per capita in Asheville than anywhere else in the United States. And that's that's a a good balance to,
0: sorry, that's a good balance to our stat of, of more churches per capita, but also more recording studios per capita. At least that's a stat I heard long time ago.
1: I would not be surprised if that was the case. (laughs)
0: Recording Studio Rockstars Academy is the place you can go to take your recording, mixing, and mastering to the next level. And you can start right now with my free introduction to mixing course, Mix Master Bundle. This course will show you how to get pro-sounding mixes from your home studio with free and stock plugins and pro tools. And the best part is that these mixing techniques will work for you in any DAW, whether you are in Logic, Cubase, PreSonus Studio One, reaper or anything else are you ready to make your best record ever then go to mix master bundle to get started for free now or look for the clickable link in the show notes of this episode jessica tell us uh what you think about you makes you particularly well suited for um you know understanding and being interested in the business side of stuff um i think i forgot the exact Wording you used before, but you said you just, you have a tendency to be good at business and, uh, and starting businesses.
1: So what, what's the question again? Sorry. Is, <laughs> it's what, what is it about?
0: Yeah. What about you sort of makes you a good fit for um, starting businesses? What about business and starting businesses do you really like? And what do you think is a good trait to have?
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. So I think that you know, a lot of people sort of get bogged down into like, I don't know where to start. And when it comes to getting something off the ground or they, it it can feel really daunting to go to, to think like, okay, well, I, I, I sort of have this vision of what I want, but I don't know how to get there. And I like the part of figuring those things out. I like the trial and error of it. And then, I think there's a real art to it. I think there's an art to business and it's like making all of the pieces work and putting them together. And so for me, I just, um, I, I excel at that. I, I I am good at like breaking things down and putting a to-do list together that will be like, okay, this, is, this will get us to this point and this will get us to this point of being the business finished and this will get us to this point. And so, you know, that's one of the things that I was really fortunate about with the studio coupled with the fact that I was also learning so many new things. So I was really excited about, uh, about all of that. But also it's just the other part of it is that I say, I say this all the time about being in the music business in general is that it's a lifestyle, not a career and part of uh, which suits me. Cause it's also part of being an entrepreneur is that mm-hmm. you just have to, it's just whatever it takes. Like every, you know whether i'm doing a festival or it's everybody here at the studio it's like it's the we call it the wit team so it's whatever it takes right and so nothing everybody does everything just meaning that there's nobody that works here or that works on any of my festivals or anything who would be like that's not my job no matter what it is it's like if you know if the toilet's clogged, guess what? Any single one of us is going to unclog the toilet. You know, it's like, I mean, it's not glamorous, but that's part of it. And it's just, and the same goes for, you know, anything from stocking the fridge to picking somebody up from the airport to, you know, cleaning up something off the floor. It's just, that's just kind of how it goes. Um, and, you know, I often say, you know, same thing, it's not a nine to five. And so I sort of thrive in that environment. And I think that's why I've always been sort of good at starting businesses is that I'm have that whatever it takes attitude to, to make something successful.
0: Um, Have you ever given advice to people about how to determine whether or not they might um, really want to go towards the creative side of music or go towards the business side of music?
1: Yeah, I have. Um, I, you know, there's part of what I do with with uh, Asheville Music Professionals amp is to help guide people to see what's going to make the most sense for them. And you know, you see a lot of folks that that's sort of the million dollar question too, right? For a lot of artists, is these days you have to be good at you have to have some element of the of being business savvy, right? Because it's just Mm -hmm. part of and that that's just really, you know, sort of any anything I think in the creatives is like art is commerce too. So you have to be able to understand what that means and what that looks like. And at, at the very least, if you're hiring people to do things for you, at least know what you're paying them for and what it looks like when that's successful. And so I definitely try to help, you know, especially people in the community where it's like if they're trying to figure out what which path they want to go down explaining sort of the pros and cons of, of each side of things, whether that's, they want to be a full-time artist and what that looks like. And also what, you know, that can look like many different things, as I'm sure, you know, it's just, there's many, there's people who are, um, it's, it's funny that you bring that up because our next, what we're working on for our next AMP event is going to be living and working full-time in music in Asheville. So it's going to be a discussion with a number of people who work in music full-time, but don't necessarily tour. Right. So, mm-hmm. so there's the, you know, that example of artists and I give that example of like, you know, with, with being a tourist town and just like Nashville to a certain, you know, obviously we're. You can play four or five different gigs in town in in a week, without a problem. In you know, because you're playing in different bands and you're playing the venue menus, you know, or the menu venues with like the the restaurants where you're sort nice. of a paid, you know, you're the paid plant. Yeah. And then you're playing the Aloft Hotel, and then you're playing this and. And so, um, or you're doing a mix of you're a music teacher or, and playing shows or you're on the road full time, full time as a performer. So, you know, I definitely, um, am happy to always lend in, uh, and guidance for people who are looking to do that. And then the same thing for the, the, you know, for the business side of it. And I, like I said, I always start by telling people that this is a lifestyle, not a career because it's not your typical nine to five, you know, my phone rings 24 seven, you know, it's like our, you know, Julian, our chief engineer is getting married this weekend and I'm still arranging to do two studio tours over the weekend. And my parents are in town and I'm still arranging to do two studio tours for potential clients this weekend, you know, as wow. as, yeah. as part of that. So
0: um, well, so let me ask you, uh, thank you for answering that. And that was, that was great insight. Um, let me ask you a question about, uh, again, back on the business side of things and and maybe leaning towards studio. Um, what are some of the first things that, um, uh, well, actually, let me ask it this twofold. What are some of the first things that need to be considered that you find are useful to focus on at the very beginning of a business? Maybe we're talking about starting a new studio or a music project in and around the studio. Um, and then where are some of the places that you see maybe the rest of us who don't feel quite as skilled as you, um, tripping up on getting started?
1: Well, I'll say this is that everything, no matter what business you're in starts and ends with the budget. And so that's no matter what you're doing, if you're building a studio, or you're launching every new product project or product or whatever it may be, or service that you're providing is that you got to start with where, cause this is, you know, obviously how you're going to get to success. It's like, there's a certain element of, yes, you know, if you build it, they will come, but you really have to have a plan in place. And so what I would recommend is that say, for instance, you're like, I want to, I want to, Build a home studio, right? So that's what you want to do. I want to be an audio engineer. You're like, okay, well, what is it going to take? Like, what's the investment it's going to take for me to get started? And then, so that's the first thing. Okay. So, what do I already have? What do I need to get to be competitive? And then also doing the research and knowing, like, who else is, you know, who else is in my area that's doing the same thing? Mm-hmm. And where, where, what's the, what's the potential for, what's the, where's the, amount of work, like how much, how many clients or potential clients are out there for me. And then basically building a business plan around that. And what I would recommend to anybody starting any sort of business, whether it's your own independent thing, like for instance, as a independent producer and engineer with a home studio to somebody who's starting a big studio to somebody who's starting, let's say a merch company or something of that sort. Um, you know, there's so many resources out there. It's like, don't reinvent the wheel, go take some classes at the local community college of like basic accounting and how to write a business plan or, you know, YouTube is an incredible resource for all sorts of things. And so, you (laughs) know, you could do that, but also do your research. So I think that's, um, sort of where a lot of people, you know, trip up is that they have, and then set some goals for yourself and of, of you know, what does success look like for you? Um, yeah. Because if you just go and you're like, hey, I just invested, and I just bought $20,000 worth of gear for my home studio and I got these great monitors and I got these great, you know, mic pre's and, and EQs and compressors, but you've done nothing to, and then you're just going to sit there and be like, well, I hope the phone rings, you know?
0: Right. Um,
1: th- it's not, like, that's not going to, that's never a good way to, to do things. So you really need to look at like, what what do I really want to be doing, and what does success look like, and what's it gonna What's the investment of time, money, and is it you know, and what's the sort of long term projections and There should always be, unless you're starting something that's completely brand new that's never been done before. You can really learn a lot from what other people have done.
0: Yeah, um, when you are trying to do all those things you described. And they start to stress you out because you'd never done them before. Um, what advice might you have as far as striking a balance between doing all this stuff and, and digging your heels in, but also like having a life work balance and, and, you know, being able to sort of stay calm and meditative at the same time?
1: Yeah. So that is, um, you know, always the big question that we all have in life, right? Is like the white, lo- what work life balance? And I feel that when you love what you do, they're really interchangeable and, um, you know, that they sort of flow in and out of each other. And you also, so I mean, that's part of it is just being willing to accept that to a certain extent, but also just setting boundaries for mm-hmm. yourself and not feeling bad. It took me, it took me years. You know, that's the thing is like here at the studio, I was here seven days a week for, I want to say for years. I remember finally taking a break when my best friend from childhood got married and went to Florida. And it was like my first time I had been away from the studio in probably three years. And I, I went through a period where I got really, really burned out here and I had to sort of step back for a minute just because my whole identity was wrapped up in, in this, in Echo Mountain. And I mean, don't, and I loved what I did, but I also was starting to resent it because I didn't have any sort of other personality or identity outside of the studio manager of, of Echo Mountain. And it's all anybody ever wanted to talk to me about. And I also like, I mean, I would never even go to the movies because I was always on call and I would right. inevitably every time I went into a movie, like somebody would call and be like, we need you. Um, which still sort of traumatizes me to this day about going, <laughs> to the <movie. laughs> even though it's not that way, even though it's not that way anymore. It's just, you know, I, I rarely go to the movies cause it's just hard for me to sit for two hours straight. Yes. But, um, but you know, I think part of it is just giving yourself permission to be a human being. Um, and And one thing that I've learned over the years is that, uh, and that I I tend to preach to a lot of people in the in the music industry uh, that I work with is that it's okay to not be okay. Right. And I've been a lot better about practicing being honest with people about where I'm at, and we'll start a conversation when I know that I'm really exhausted and at a point where, you know, or something's going on like in my personal life or, you know, something's gone on in my family and I'll, I'll sit down for a meeting with, with a group of people or with my staff and I'll say, Hey, in interest of full disclosure, this, I'm going through this right now. And so I'm okay, but I'm just telling you that life's a little harder than it normally is for me right now. And I'm telling you that because I, one, I want you to know where I'm at. And two, I also want you to know that I, I want to know where you're at. And I think that people really appreciate that honesty and sort of being given permission. So like, we feel like we need to be given permission and, some, and sometimes we do. And to be able to say that I need to step away for a minute and just take a personal day and, um, you know and as and as hard as that is it's just something that it's it's you can't pour from an empty cup uh, empty cup right, right. so good, sometimes good. you got to yeah you got to go recharge yourself so that you can be there for other people and for your business.
0: Well, I, I love that quote. That's great. Um, and you've already said some some great quotes. One of them I wrote down was um, artist commerce, which was another great reminder. Um, but uh, before we take a break here, let me ask you to share an inspiration, another inspirational quote on the show that'll just get the rock stars psyched about making their next record.
1: Uh, let's see. Um, oh, man, I had something that was so good that I wanted to share Um, Oh yes. No, 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 no. Yes, I have it. So this is it. My, my inspirational quote. One of the things that I think about all the time is that, um, people will forget what you say. People may forget what you do, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Nice. Right. So when, and I say that for a number of different reasons, but one of the reasons why I created my festival connect beyond festival is that you know, I've been so moved by a song or a movie that's inspired me to make a change in my life or just felt like it was there cradling me. You know, and I was, I, I just did this interview with this um, magazine in Atlanta and they were talk. they had asked me something about something that moved me. And I was talking about the song Ooh Child by The Five Stair Steps. And I remember hearing that song and I was probably about 12 years old. And I was going through like a particularly rough time in my childhood. With I had a re- I had a pretty tumultuous relationship with my father. And I remember hearing that song, and I remember thinking that it was for me. Like that song was created for me, right? Mm-hmm. At twelve, and it just you know I heard it, and I was like, okay, oh li- life is going to get easier someday. Life will be brighter. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so. Just it's the song said it and it's in and, and I feel it, it will be that someday I won't always feel like this. And that that, you know, I'm 41 now. That song has stuck with me through all these years of just one of those first experiences of hearing something that I felt like was made just for me and really had such an impact in my life. So Yeah,
0: you know, um watching some of the videos of the Connect Festival, I think it was the promo video. There's this great moment where one somebody maybe it was a songwriter is sitting on the couch and they lean over and they're like describing meeting a fan and the fan's like, "Let me tell you why it is that I love your song. Let me tell you why it's all about me." You know? And, and, yeah, yeah. That was know, Esso. And, yeah. yeah. Oh, that was Sylvanessa. Those guys are great. Yeah, they they mm-hmm. uh, I had them in the uh, the toy box. I mean, at the at the hay bale studio.
1: Oh, they're ago, awesome. Too. I love Super those cool. guys. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, great. Thank you for sharing that quote, too. So um, let's take a break for just a sec. Rockstars will be back in just a moment for the jam session. And a reminder that I've got links to stuff we're talking about in the show notes. If you go to to the blog post for the complete show notes, and you can also find the YouTube playlist there with some videos of these great projects and Echo Mountain Studio, and also Jessica on stage speaking at TEDx, which we'll talk about in just a moment. So we'll see you guys in a minute for the jam session. It was 1971 in a New York City basement when Eventide revolutionized the audio world by introducing the world's first studio effects processor, the Instant Phaser, and the first digital effect, the H910 Harmonizer. Eventide soon followed with the Instant Flanger, Omnipressor, SP2016 Reverb, and H949 and H3000 Harmonizers, which have been favorites of A-list mixers like Michael Brower, Joe Ciccarelli, Mick Kozowski, and Dave and heard on countless hit records over the decades. Today, Eventide brings all that sound to your stage and studio with modern solutions like the H9000 Harmonizer, their complete line of guitar pedals, including the versatile H9 Max, and transformative plugins like Micropitch, Fizion, Black Hole, and Mangled Reverb. Take your next mix in your studio to a whole new level. Go to eventide.com or click the link in the show notes below. Are you sick of bothering family and neighbors when you're just trying to rehearse or record your music? Do outside noises or computer fans get into your studio mics and ruin your recordings? You could book a pro studio to record every time, but that would add up quickly. And doing permanent construction to soundproof your studio can easily cost up to $100,000 or more. Trust me, I know. And you can't take that with you when you eventually move the studio. Don't you wish there was an easy solution right now? Whisper Room ISO offers a simple way to install a comfortable, quiet, ventilated ISO booth in your studio with easy line of sight for recording vocals, guitar amps, or even drums in a variety of sizes. For 30 years, Whisper Room has been solving studio isolation needs worldwide with ISO booths that are shippable, portable, and can be assembled in an afternoon. Now you can get pro vocal recordings right in your home studio, practice whenever you want, and start using real guitar amps again. Get 10% off the 4x4 or 4x6 boosts when you mention recording studio Rockstars at whisperroom.com or click the link in the show notes below. Are you using a Mac in your recording studio? Are you tired of feeling like the studio setup you worked so hard to create is becoming obsolete too quickly? Wouldn't it feel great to have a trusted friend to help you keep your existing Mac and studio setup current and relevant so that you can focus on the thing you love most, which is making great music? Well, now you can rely on OWC, Otherworld Computing, which you can find at OWC.com whose mission it is to help you get the most mileage out of your Mac. Whether you need to upgrade your RAM, install an SSD, add more connectivity, or simply find a great used Mac that's ready to rock, OWC will help take your studio far into the future with a vast library of DIY install videos, 24-7 friendly support, and free shipping in the US on most items over $49. Why get frustrated and ditch your existing computer when you can take your studio far into the future with OWC? Or at OWC.com and find out how awesome your Mac can be at OWC. Hey, Rockstars, we're back now for the Jam Session. My guest today is Jessica Thomason joining us from Echo Mountain Studios in Asheville, North Carolina. And we're going to jump right back in. So Jessica, are you ready to jam?
1: I am ready to jam. Sweet.
0: Um, <laughs> tell us what the uh, Connect Festival is.
1: Connect Beyond Festival is a festival that uses music, film, and literature to explore how art can inspire and influence change.
0: Right on. And so, this is something that you created right there in Nashville, right?
1: Yes, this is this is my baby. It's uh, we we just had our. Second festival, the first weekend in April, and it's a mix of panels, performances, screenings, and workshops. Well,
0: that's exciting. Um, What were some of the most fun things, uh, some of the fun memories for you about having just done this?
1: Well, so one of the things is that it's to see how impactful it was for people so when you when you're doing festival and event production especially when you're getting something off the ground there's so many details and you know I brought creators in from all over the country so I had a something like 46 people come in and I I have a very small team that helps me with this and so a lot of the details you know I'm coordinating the travel and hotels and uh, all of everything. And so you, for you know, a- along the way it's, it's, I don't want to say that I lose sight, but you know, you forget that you're creating, So you, you're hoping to create something that's really special. And then just to say, see the way that people were so moved and inspired and touched by things, that was probably one of the biggest um, takeaways for me. But the other part was just You know, just seeing one of my favorite parts was seeing uh, Kishibashi, the -hmm. artist who did his last album at Echo Mountain. And it just was, it was just released last week. It's called Omoyari, which is the Japanese word for compassion. Cool. And so what we do is we sort of interweave um, uh, these different disciplines of music, film, and literature too. So what he, he's also working on a song film about, uh, about, that's called Omoyati too. And it's about, you know, exploring his minority identity. And so he goes to some of the different sites of Japanese internment camps and Bob Boylan from NPR interviewed him and Kishi talked about his process and about the process of really exploring his minority identity and what that meant to him and just sort of the things that were happening today, you know, with, uh, what was happening to, uh, with issues of immigration and sort of how that brought up some of the things of the and the the similarities between that and the Japanese internment camps and and explored some really interesting themes of just uh, good and bad. You know, he has a song about that's called F Delano, and it's about FDR. Um, some of it's about FDR and just the fact that you know he made these decisions to. Uh, put japanese people americans in these camps which mm-hmm. was was which was, was a horrible thing and is highly impactful on families for years and years to come and and just talking about the fact that he made this really poor decision yet he also is this person that created you know a lot of the social programs that we have today that we still like what we as Americans really benefit from. And so just sort of talking about some of these ideas of, of like, we're not this dichotomy of good or bad necessarily that we all sort of embody some of these different things. And, and it was part performance and he had Mike Savino from Tall Tall Trees with him and in part interview with Bob Boylan. And then he showed clips of the upcoming film, which is not yet out yet. So it was really, really beautiful and very moving to um, sort of see Kishi um, on this journey of, of exploring his minority identity.
0: Well, that's pretty cool. That's very exciting. And, and I, it's interesting to hear you remind us that, like, when you're trying to create something new, like a festival or, you know, whether it's some putting together a studio and a whole event— it's easy to get caught up in feeling like it's just a whole bunch of busy work, getting everything scheduled and put together. And then when it happens, you sort of see it unfold and you see how it affects people and makes everybody feel. And that's where the real reward is.
1: Absolutely. I mean, and that's the same as can be said for, you know, we can get bogged down in the details of creating art, right? When you're making an album and you're thinking about all these things and, oh, and the, you know, making sure the deadlines are met for, mixing and mastering and is the artwork done is, oh, and the tour and the publicity campaign and all this stuff. And it's sort of like, you know, the same thing can happen where you sort of get lost in the, all of the details and forget that, you know, oh, by the way, I actually made something that's really going to touch people's lives, you know?
0: Indeed. Well, um, you bring up a good point. You just said deadlines for records. Um, can you talk about what the you know the life cycle of a a record being made looks like and give us some insights into useful deadlines so that things get done properly
1: <laughs> sure you know it's so funny it's 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 changed so much just in terms of how we consume music obviously and just with the digital age and i'm not just talking about you know the spotify and and YouTube worlds, but I'm also talking about just media in general where so much everything used to be really focused on print media and the magazines and there was deadlines that you know you had to have 90 days out or at you know to be able to meet deadlines for your publicist to pitch to get in and and now there's all these music blogs and where everybody's finding their, content and all of these things and it's like you're at the top of the page one day and then you're at the end of the page the next day and forgotten by the third day mm. sort of thing so you know i think that it's changed so much that it's a little bit um it's different I, th- I think definitely always making sure that you give yourself you know and and your publicist 90 days to be able to promote what you're working on and just having all of the pieces tied together so that you you instead of you know instead of me being like oh you need to have it done by this time and this time really just making sure that you have all of your ducks in a row for is your publicist lined up with the release at the same time that you have it put in to to for a single or the album to drop into the digital you know dsp's digital service providers uh is there a tour to support it uh is do you have a publishing deal and are they actively working these songs for placements for television and film at the same time that your publicist or whoever is working for playlisting and things like that. So I think the most important thing is making sure that you've taken care of all those things. What I can tell you, though, uh, from years of experience with the studio, do not book your album release party and date until you actually have the album finished because nice. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot tell you how many times we are frantically trying to fit somebody in who scheduled the release show without actually having having the album fully done and just, things get away from them. Their schedule gets away from them. Our schedule's not available. And so I've seen it a lot of times. And then just also, like I said, it's like properly giving, you know, you put all this time and energy to create this beautiful project, make sure that you allow the time to be able to properly promote it and get it out. So, you know, don't make something and just, you know, and, and there's a, obviously exceptions to this rule. Like don't just make something and just throw it up there. Um, I mean, you can, you you can do that and there's nothing wrong with, and especially in the days of attention spans being short and generating content regularly and wanting to keep, uh, you know, things new and fresh and people engaged. Yeah. There's ways to do that, but you have to pick and choose when, when those things are. You know, Um, SoundCloud's great for is throwing things up there that's like, hey, I'm working on this or (laughs) I remix this song. And I think that's a really great way for especially engineers and producers or musicians who are trying to get more into that realm to do that and to be constantly creating content by doing remixes and things like that.
0: So in other words, um, let's say you have a five song batch like I do right now, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're um, you're thinking about, you know, how to get through the process, how to get it uh, released. Um, are you saying that it's okay to uh, start showing the world um, the project songs along the way, or is it still important to sort of wait till you've got your very best final version before you start sharing it with the world?
1: I think that, I'll tell you, I think that people like to see the process and the behind the scenes, um, and so I think sharing that along the way is is good to a certain extent. And I think it also depends on who you are and where you are. And so if you're a new artist, I think absolutely share. I would be, I would be conscious of not putting, you know, like for instance, like you and I would be able to listen to something and be like, yeah, this is just a demo or this is a rough mix or whatever. Right. But you know, um. I would be conscious of throwing something out there that you think people that are not necessarily going to understand that are going to be like, this sounds like crap, you know? (laughs) Like um, like
0: my 13 year old daughter who who every time I play her anything, it's a mixed comment that I get back. Is it really? I mean, you know, not as a mixer, but just like, daddy, the vocals are too quiet. The vocals are too loud. That's pretty much it.
1: Oh, I love it. I love it. So, but yeah, but I mean, I think sharing the process and it's, it's like, you know, um if you're working on something if you're working on a piece of something on a piano part like take a video and show you working on this and like hey this is for my upcoming this is for this new song i'm working on da 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 you know and give people sort of snippets into the inside of your process and who you are as an artist and then you know once you feel confident and it feels good then go ahead and put it out there as as that and then you know i i think that you know a, a, The good news is, is that the playing field is leveled and the bad news is, is the playing field is leveled, right? Right. So is what I usually say. And so I think that, you know, part of one of the ways that artists can cut through all the crap that's out there is to be real. And I think that people see, want to see more and more of that, um, of like, Hey, I want to see what you're doing. And, and, you know, as, and, and, you know, and, and, and I have mixed feelings about this because I'm a pretty private person, you know, for me personally. Um, but I've also been asked and told to share like my process of, of producing the festival. And I was taking just these videos and putting them up and I was surprised at all the feedback that I was getting. And, you know, it's a little scary, the more and more that we're just like living our lives online. Right. But also I think that there's, I think I'm, I am more comfortable with that than I am the fake persona of, Mm -hmm putting yourself out there on social media where you always look good and you're always polished and you're like, that's, that's not realistic. You know, it's like, you know, the, the moms who are like, I made this perfect lunch for my kid once again today. It's just like, (laughs) you are got to be kidding me. That is not what you're, you know, I'm sure. But then you got McDonald's on the way home, girl, you know, for for your kid. It's just like, (laughs) it's okay. It's okay. You don't have to always be that way. And I would much rather see we go the route of being real and working through our processes and, and whatever it is. And that's how my videos were. I was like, every time I was like, I am so tired. Here's the bags under my eyes. I literally came home and ate while I watched TV for, I watched the golden girls for 30 minutes and now I'm back at it and you know, whatever, whatever. And I got a lot of really good feedback about that. So I think it's important to, to share along the way and then when you feel good about something that's finished, put it out.
0: So this was you sort of l- learning to use social media and being transparent that way um, through, what, Instagram or something like that?
1: Yeah, Instagram and Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: in To accompany the the project, which was um, the Connect Beyond Festival. Yes. So that's sort of the combination there. Yep. So as somebody... I feel this way often, and I know there are lots of people that are like, "Oh yeah, social media. I can't. I mean, I just can't do it." You know, what? How often do you run into somebody who's sort of resistant to including the social media and the 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 little videos or whatever in their their process? And what advice might you have for how to do that? And also, like keep a balance. Like, you know, I'm sure you felt this way sometimes where you're like, I just, I feel like if I make a social media video right now, it's actually me not doing the process instead. I'm now I'm making this social media video. Um, do you have any thoughts on that kind of balance?
1: Yeah. And it's funny. Cause I just had this conversation recently with a bunch of musicians that were hanging out at my house, um, that were traveling through town. And I have a I live with a bunch of musicians. Um, we kind of have a compound and there's a band coming through town from, I can't remember where they are from, Chicago maybe. And we were having this conversation about, you know, I was like, look, you know, social media is a necessary evil. And you have to find that balance because one of the guys in the band was like, I completely understand, but I felt like I was just getting so bogged down in doing these social media posts that I wasn't focusing on my art, which is something that we've heard all the time. You know, if it's not social media posts, say, depending on where you are as an artist, if you're booking yourself, it's like, well, I'm booking myself and I'm promoting my own shows. So it's like, where's the balance between that, you know, and and um and and me creating music? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's like it's one of those things, it's like a necessary evil. I, I say it's it's like laundry, right? Do you, I don't know anybody who's like, man, you know what? <laughs> I love to wash towels. I mean, I just love it when you I know, have you-
0: My record's getting done because of those dirty towels.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, right? So, but there's like a give and a take. At some point when you get out of the shower and you're dripping wet and you're using a Kleenex to dry off, you're like, all right, I got to do something about this. Um, <laughs> th- it, it, there's got to be... There's ways and there's resources that, you know, um, there's things... There's so many things that you can use now so you can schedule your social media posts, right? And Mm -hmm. so you don't necessarily have to, you can, uh, like I'm working with a band right now, for instance, and I'm like, look, you need to create a bunch of content. So, um, they're going to come in one day and bring a bunch of different outfits and shoot like six different videos, you know, just like, just small little snippet videos, right? So doing little cover videos, little acoustic versions of songs that they're working on. And so they're going to take a day and put all that together and then and record all that. And then it's done. Right. And then put one out every 10 days or whatever, you know, of that. And so it's like, there you go. Like, you know, you just have to sort of plan ahead and some, some of those things. And then there's plenty of, um, you know, uh, programs online that you can use to schedule your posts where, I mean, you can even do it on... I think you can do it on Instagram. I know you can do it on Facebook. I think you can do it on Instagram now where you can literally just make those posts and then schedule them to go live at these different times. So it's sort of a like set it and forget it sort of thing. So yeah, you just, it's, it's a necessary evil. It's just sort of one of those things that you just got to find that balance or, you know, f- find somebody to do it for you. I mean, that's the other thing is that somebody who's gonna, you know, whether that's like, just come and film you while you're like, Hey, I'm doing a writing session today. It's like, okay, well, let me just come and film you and I'll film you and, you know, five, you know, do these five different things. And then here, and then I'll post them for you.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess it depends on where you're at with things. I think that, um, you know, if you're starting out with this stuff too, uh, sometimes it's just, you, you can also just decide I'm going to have a routine of doing this. So like, I, I'll always give myself five minutes or 10 minutes or whatever it is during the day to do Mm -hmm. some sort of video. And and that way you anticipate it and it doesn't disturb whatever else you're doing. Maybe you walk into the studio and you're about to start and you you just get there 10 minutes early and you do a little like walk through and show off what you're working on, show off your mics and your kit, drum kit and whatever else you got. And I've done some of that. I do it occasionally sort of when I feel inspired to. So I'm certainly no example on how to do that. but when I do it, it's always a surprise and a pleasant thing to see um, people come back. I just, I just live streamed myself getting a hair, all my hair cut off the other day, and uh, and that actually was kind of fun. I couldn't read any of the comments because I didn't have my glasses on though.
1: <laughs> Get your readers. Uh, no, and I think I mean that's the other thing that I tell artists too is that it doesn't always have to be you know, about that, right? It's, it's make first of all, I'm a fan of to-do lists. So make yourself a to-do list and then just think about the other things in your life that you're passionate about. Right. So I am, you know, I love my dog and she's like the Keith Richards of dogs. And so she's, you know, a great subject for me to post about. So, you know, finding that balance where you know, you're showing a piece of your personality. Perfect example is like you shot a video of you getting your hair cut off. Like people, I, I'm like, oh man, I'm sorry. I missed that. You know, um, did you cut the beard off too?
0: Uh, well, it's, it's, it's a lot more well-kept and, and short right now. So yeah, okay.
1: so I, yes.
0: I, I, I'm back to my, you know, I'm, I'm more inspired to look like GI Joe now than like um, Jed Clamp. Well, no, Jed Clamp <laughs> didn't have the long hair and a beard, but like, in you know, a Rip Van Winkle.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I totally get it. So yeah, but I mean, that's that's just the other thing, too, is that it can literally be, you know, it doesn't have to be just all about you creating content for your music. It's like, people want to know who you are as a human being, too. It's like, what else are you into? Are you, do you go to see other music ever? You know, then... Take a, take a snapshot of that. And it, that's just it, too. It doesn't always have to be like these videos. You can take pictures of something that you found interesting or even just something beautiful where you're just like, I just came across these, you know, great, you know, um, rhododendron that's in bloom and taking a picture of that and sharing yeah. that. It doesn't have to be because that's the other thing, too, is like people just don't want you don't want to just promote, 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 promote where it just seems like that's all you're doing. And, and the other thing is, is engaging, you know, it's just supporting other people. I mean, that's one of the things that's the best thing about social media, right? It's like one of the things I love about it is that when somebody's in need, whether that's me or one of my friends is going through a hard time, people will rally, you know, it's just, especially here in Nashville, it's one of the things I love. And, and I definitely, after spending so much time in Nashville, the last eight months is that, you know, you all have the same thing there is like community is important. And so, yeah you know, when you show up for your community, they show up for you. And I think that's really important. And that's, social media is one of those ways that we can really, we can really do that.
0: Um, All right. So uh, one last comment on the social media aspect, and then I want to start asking you about um, another topic, but just a reminder that like, if it feels like too much to make a little Instagram video every day, um, I think it's more important to be consistent. So like, if you really want this social media insight to be effective for whatever it is you're doing, your studio, your record, a lot, you know, through the process. Um, if you can, you know, just do it less often, but try and do it consistently. So it's just like this steady constant reminder to your, your friends and and fans that you're working on this thing, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then that's the other thing too, is that, you know, and, and like you said, like being consistent. So, you know, um, if you make a calendar for yourself, and put like today i'm going to promote, you know in you know doing say you're going to do two posts a week right and you make a calendar you're like well this day i'm going to i'm going to promote somebody else's work that i really love and that's right. another great thing that you can do and so it doesn't feel like you're always like me 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 but you're like hey that's one of the things that i love about doing with echoes echo mountain social media is that I always want to promote when a record that we've worked on has come out, you know, and, and so we always do that. And it's, and it's been cool. Cause the last few, like the last two weeks we've had a bunch of stuff come out. So I got to promote Kishi Bashi and I got to promote, uh, Drew Holcomb and the neighbors and I got to promote Posh Hammer. And it's just, it's really always such a great thing when we can do that. And, um, and that's a great way for studios to, to be able to just support, you know, support your clients in that way.
0: Um, let me jump to asking you about your amazing experience speaking at TEDx Asheville. Um, you got up, you got to be up there and speak on a a stage. That's gotta be one of the scariest things in the world for most of us to do in front of a live audience. Uh, and I think you were talking about like, you know, the power of music and how it can help, um, people's memories. And also this amazing project that you did with heartbeat heart, the heartbeat becoming the song for a project to help kids. Tell us about all that.
1: Yeah. So it, uh, my, my talk was about music is essential to life and we can support our communities by supporting music. So it was sort of the big picture idea. And I talked about the different ways that music impacts us, uh, from you know, um, you know, it acts as a universal language and it and it it can affect us emotionally. It has effects on the brain. So one of the things I talked about and I and I share a clip from the documentary Alive Inside that's all about the ways that um um music can help those who have Alzheimer's and dementia, mm-hmm. which during, so, um, during Connect Beyond Festival, we had Daniel Levitin at the festival who is, um, a musician, but also the author of, and he's a neuroscientist. And he wrote, this is your brain on music. Oh, right. Yeah. And so Daniel did a project, uh, a performance with Victor Wooten, which is basically your spirit on music meets your brain on music. And so they did a Discussion and performance together and just talking about the effects of music on on us in so many different ways. And it was really cool. But one of the things Daniel mentioned was that, you know, the part of the brain that uses music or that um, takes music in is um, it's a really deep part of the brain and one of the, you know, sort of the first oldest parts of the brain that have been developed over time in that the reason why music works for people with Alzheimer's and dementia is that um, it's uh, the disease can't necessarily touch the part of the brain that processes music. So, which is just a really fascinating thing to learn at the festival. But, um, but I talk about the fact of that, you know, it can do so many things for us and that, you know, and I bring up, we created, there's a, a woman in town named Melissa Hyman here in Asheville that works for Arts for Life, which is an organization that brings arts to pediatric cancer patients uh, across the state, and they work here at Mission Hospital in Asheville. And she, I was talking about. I had seen the documentary Alive Inside, and I was so inspired and so moved by it that I wanted to do more. Like I, after seeing the way that music had changed these people's lives and were helping them through this process, through this disease, I wanted to do something and. She said, "Well, she told me that she worked with Mission Hospital, and is works with music with kids, and that she wanted to get a microphone that had a or a stethoscope that had a microphone in it, and record the heartbeat of." Cool. Kids and then use that as the backing beat to record their favorite song, a cover of their favorite song. And so we we put this project together, her and I, called the Heartbeat Sessions, and uh, we've done a number of them over the last two years. And it's just absolutely incredible to see. And when the kids can, they come in. And their families come in and they're a part of it. And the, we, um, you know, we, I donate a day of studio time and uh, we put a band together of all sorts of local musicians. Everybody donates their time and we essentially um, record the song for them. And, and we film the session as well. And then we give it to the kids and their parents to either use as part of the healing process for them or in the cases where the kids have passed away, the parents then have something to remember their children by.
0: Wow, that's amazing. And and the video that I saw which is on the the YouTube playlist Rockstars, it starts out you hear the the child's heartbeat and that's the beat of the song and the musicians and the and another kid or maybe it's the same kid is singing along to the heartbeat yeah, the same, as, the, as yeah. the backbeat. Just such a cool concept.
1: It's the same kid and that that little girl, she's such a badass. Uh, she wrote that song for her mom. And I mean, just the, you know, just the, her ability to, to her strength that she was going through, um, you know, she had leukemia and her mom, just seeing what it was doing to her mom. And she wanted her mom to know how much she appreciated and loved her that, you know, while it was hard for her to go through it as a child and have, you know, have this illness, just the strength that her mom had and she recognized how hard it was for her and she wanted her to know that. And so she wrote her the song. I mean, it was just so moving. And then we surprised her mom by bringing her into the studio and that's in the Ted talk. I have that in the video. It's just like, she's just, you know, they're an incredible family and it's kind of, uh, you know, I I can tell you too, um, that I had another really interesting experience with this is that, um, I, uh, two two years ago or last January one my very dear friend and and business partner uh, we were working on a record together in the studio and he had a seizure uh, while we were in the studio and wow. we I called 911 it was the end of the day a tracking day with this band and I called 911 and he went to the hospital and they couldn't. Um, get him to stop seizing. So they intubated him and he was in a coma for a week and I was at the hospital with him every day with him and his wife. Um, and finally the day that they, you know, and we, I mean, we were unsure what was going to happen and it was a very, very scary situation. And he finally They finally got him to come to and stop seizing, and we weren't sure sort of what the state it was going to be in terms of if there was going to be brain damage and whatnot. But the day that he came to, I got a call. You know, I'd been out of the studio all week, and I got a call from our text message that was like, hey, you're about to get a phone call. Make sure you answer it. And it was a woman from a -A Make-A-Wish Foundation. And she said, "Um, listen, we have a kid. That's at Mission Hospital, and he's not supposed to make it through the weekend, and his dying wish is to record a song that he wrote. Wow. And I was in the hospital, and I was—I said, what floor is he on? And she said, he's on the third floor. And I was like, well, I'm in ICU on the sixth floor. Can I go see him? And she was like, oh, that's weird. I was like, I know, but trust me. And so, and so I went down. You know, they arranged it, and like two hours later, just as they were moving my my friend out of ICU to the neuro ward, I got to go down and um, talk to this kid. He was 18, 19, and his family, and I was, you know, and everybody's in there, and they're crying, and I was like, hey, so I understand that you want to make a song. I run Echo Mountain Recording Studio and I want to make that happen for you. And so he sort of lit up and he had written this rap song. And so I basically got on the phone and rallied, you know, my partner who's an Ableton guru and engineer and trainer nice. and musician. And a friend of ours who's a lyricist and another friend of ours to come in the next day. We built a mobile recording studio in the children's ward of the hospital. Wow. And it turns out he was one of our heartbeat kids, and I didn't know that, Um, that we just didn't get a chance to get into the studio. And he ended up, um, so when my partner came to, when he finally started to understand what was happening, he kept going, Oh my God, we got to make this record. We got to, you know, and he's freaking out. And I'm like, Look, you can't go anywhere. This is, you know, we got to stay in the hospital. But listen, and I told him about this kid and he, you know, as I'm watching him sort of struggle with the fact of like, oh, you know, what's next for me and not knowing it's like the unknown. Yeah. I was like, look, this kid, we got to make this happen. And he was super. you know, he was emotional, but also really into it It was like, oh my gosh, you know, you know, my partner's got, has been responsible in some form or fashion for like 30, 40 golden platinum records. And so it's like, he's had a wonderful life of music, you know, the last 35 years. And so um, he's like, okay, let's do it. And so we went in and we recorded with him and helped him write this, you know, finish the song and put a beat together and all this sort of stuff. And he we recorded until nine o'clock that night with him. And the doctors and the nurses were like, Oh my God, you know, we didn't think that he'd have this much energy. And then I sent it back to Julian to mix it. And then we did a listening party the next day, and they invited all of his friends and family. And my partner's wife, um, she brought in we a number of his records that he had. So like Wu-Tang Clan and Eminem and Hit mm. the Fawn and all these. And so we decorated the conference room with all of these gold and platinum records. And um, he was so happy and basically did this listening session and we did a Q&A with him and they let my partner come down and you know, wheel him down in a wheelchair and all this stuff. And it was just, and he signed and this kid signed autographs and, they were like, what's next? And he's like, well, I have three other songs that I've, I've written. (laughs) And it was incredible. And my boyfriend and I were getting ready to go to, um, uh, LA. We had to go to LA for like five days or whatever. And we're like, when we come back, we'll come back into this, we'll come back in and we'll work with you. And he was like, okay. And so we basically, you know, and they, again, they didn't expect him to live through the weekend. And, We came back five days later and I called the hospital and I was, you know, I was a little nervous and I was like, hey, how's he, how's he doing? And they're like, oh, he's waiting for you. And we went back and we worked with him on the next three songs and he ended up living an extra month and a half. Wow. And the doctors were like, you know, obviously we can't scientifically prove this, but you gave him something to live for. You know, and they're like, you gave him his family another month and a half with him.
0: It's, it's nutty And I mean, no, not, that uh, that's a very, very amazing and heavy story, not to make light of anything, but the, uh, maybe this is an example where i um, stretching out how long it takes to make the record is a really good idea. Yeah. Right. <laughs>
1: no, well, you never know what's going to happen and, and you know what I mean? But it's just, that's the power of music that it can have on people. It's just, and not only that, but just see, yeah. you know, I mean, just the timing of that, because that was, ex- you know, my, my. My partner needed that as much as this kid needed it. You know what I mean? Because like Julian was like uh, Julian was mixing it, and then I was sitting in the hospital room with with my buddy and and listening on my little speaker, listening to the mixes, and I'm going like, "What do you think?" And he's like, "Oh, it needs this, and needs that," and just for him to be able to be like, "Oh, okay, my brain still works," you know, right. I'm still gonna be able to make records, you know, and um. It it's just like it's just the power of what music can do is just, it's it, I'll say this it's that's why you need to finish your damn record. <laughs>
0: <'Cause>, <laughs> good, because if good you don't get it
1: out there, you know you never know who you're not affecting. Yeah. By not putting your music out there, and that's if that's not incentive for you to finish a project, then I don't know what is. No. you,
0: you know I've um, I've been somebody who's made music and then often. Kind of kept it close, you know to myself, uh, and and then occasionally you know, would play it for a friend or something like that. And it was always amazing to when you do get a chance to play it for somebody that really appreciates it and they listen to it and you see their faces like, man, this is great, dude, this is fantastic or you gotta you gotta put this out. and it's it's just that reminder. It's like, you know, I think we we can have a tendency to um, to underestimate what we have to contribute, you know?
1: Oh, absolutely. And, and here's another thing too. It's like, I mean, we're all our own worst critics, obviously. But I think that one of the things that it's important to, again, this is that other thing about sharing, right? Um, and, to you know, hopefully not oversharing. But, you know, we all get to, we all at some point feel like we don't belong in the room right? We're not good enough. Our music's not good enough. We're not good enough. We're not smart enough. We're not pretty enough, whatever it may be. So, you know, I think that help like sharing those, that vulnerability and those insecurities, you know, again, makes you human, but also helps for us to get the support we sometimes need of just, that's the same thing. I know so many musicians that just do not, you know, they just, tweak and and fiddle with something and just to the point where they just like take the life out of it because they're just like it's not good enough it's not good enough it's not good enough you know and it's never going to be fully finished until you put it out there to the world for people to be able to experience it and that's you know and that's that's beauty's in the eye of the beholder right it's, so mm. it's people are going to be affected by your music and there's also like there's an ass for every seat so there's always going to be a fan for everything. And it's okay if some people don't like your music because there's going to be other people who absolutely adore your music and, and it's going to touch them. And it's just like, and again, like I said, people will always remember how you make them feel and how your music makes them feel. And so, you know, by putting, by not, by doubting yourself and not putting it out there, it's, um, you know, you're just, it's like doing a, you know, that's your gift to give to the world. That's going to impact somebody in some way. Well, so. I think
0: I think a, a helpful perspective is for us to remember how many times there's something that we like that our friends don't like, and we're just like, yeah, that's just the way it is. But when it's your own stuff, you, you quickly forget that, you know?
1: Oh, yeah. You're like, everybody must like my 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 art. <laughs> and then,
0: then there's the fear of what if they do like it? Sometimes you just feel nervous having all eyes on you or all ears on you, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And that's definitely, Um. you know, you said, you asked about uh being on stage and I, in the last few years, have started doing stand-up comedy. And one of the reasons why I did it was just to challenge myself to do something that was absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Um. And, you know, the difference between like performing and on stage performing music and doing comedy is like comedies like i mean it's just you talking to the audience and um that you, is scary And when you tell a joke and i have bombed trust me i have bombed so bad um and that's part of it and it's just there's nothing more awkward and cringeworthy than you know uh saying something and you're like anybody anybody no no that's not that's not funny oh all right Apparently I'm not as entertaining as I thought I was. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's just, it's good to do that and just sort of, um, you got to get out of your comfort zone. And whether that's putting your music out there and just being like, well, I don't know. I don't know if anybody's going to like it, but...
0: Want to record killer drums in your home studio? Then check out Rockstars of Drums to learn how to record, edit, and mix pro-sounding drums with a professional Nashville session drummer in a Grammy-winning studio. Or if you're ready to start mastering your own records at home, then check out Rockstars of Mastering, where I walk you through exactly how I mastered my own record, Skadoosh, using nothing but plugins in PreSonus Studio One. And if mixing is your focus, then check out my free course Mix Master Bundle, where I show you how to mix using stock and free plugins in Pro Tools. And the best part is these techniques would work for you in whichever DAW you're using right now. Plus, you get a look at how I recorded everything in my studio and multi-track downloads for you to practice mixing and even include in your mixing portfolio if you want. Are you ready to make your best record ever? Then go to Mixmaster Bundle to get started for free now or look for the clickable link in the show notes of this episode. Well, tell us about Acme, the... um, I think it's a, well, I don't know how to describe the company, but it's the company that you just, that you started and it helps artists find licensing opportunities for their music. What, what, what do the rock stars need to know about what sort of opportunities are out there for them as far as their music or the records they're working on with, with somebody else in their studio?
1: Well, I'll tell you, so ACME was started by my partner, Michael Selvern, who's been in the publishing business for a really long time. And he then um, brought us into my buddy Josh Blake and I into it. And, you know, part of it part of it's that you know, Mike's helped start so many really successful publishing companies that he wanted to do one here in Asheville to help support local artists. And uh, a lot of what we do is um you know we work with uh, music's a new campaign for our conventions and visitors bureau so trying to market Asheville as a a music destination and so Mm -hmm. they have a explore Asheville radio station and so we do all the licensing of the local music for them and so we help to um you know it's not a lot of money but we help to put money into the pockets of Of local musicians and getting their music out there. And then also um, when, you know, there's music writers coming to town, we try to curate experiences and take them to see local music and that sort of thing. But then also Mike's just working on right now, some of his connections in that world and helping to get some more placements in the television and film world. And, and um, you know, when there's opportunities that we see that, you know, he's got access to then, we definitely always try to pitch those for, for local artists. So, but yeah, I mean, part of, um, part of being in the studio and especially, you know, we're lucky here because in, you know, in our second studio in the API, the top floor is all music businesses. And so we rent offices out to other people. So for instance, um, Ben Lovett, who is a, Ben Levitt does a lot of scoring for television and film. He's a musician and he's a great, great dude. And, you know, sometimes if he's looking for something, he'll come over and just walk over to the office and be like, hey, you know, um, do you have anything? Or I'll do the same thing. I'll be like, hey, can I send you a link to so-and-so's music that I think might be a good fit for something that you're working on? And he'll be like, yeah, sure. And then the same thing, we have uh, uh, Josh, who's part of ACME, also is the... Uh, co-founder of uh, independent arts and music of Asheville. And they produce a show called the echo sessions. That's out of here.
0: Right, right. I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to ask you about that.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's basically local regional artists. And I mean, we'll, we'll do them with a a number of people. We've actually been um, uh, taking some different artists now, but it's, it's basically a live studio performance that we live stream and then it airs on PBS at a later date, and it reaches 400,000 households. Wow. So, um, it's pretty incredible to see the reach. In fact, uh, one of the bands, the John Stickley Trio, that was uh, did an episode, went out and did a show in San Francisco, and they had a really good turnout for the show, and they had never played that market before, and again, really far from Asheville. Uh, and they asked a number of the people in the crowd said you know what do you how did you find out, Found out how did you find out about us and they said oh echo sessions we watch it online cuz you can watch it online and it's pretty much is right there next to uh Austin City Limits online mm-hmm. and and that's when it it airs like Austin City Limits and and Echo Sessions and the state of things here in town uh on the on the basically the North Carolina public access channel so um so it's really exciting to see, you know, we try to uh, really use that as a platform to help support local and regional bands. And then we take, you know, we'll book other bands for it, but we usually try to um, book them with a local band as well. That's a
0: cool idea. I like that idea. It's the same concept of touring and playing gigs where you have the headliner and and the opening band sort of gets gets an opportunity to be on a stage in front of a bigger audience, possibly, Um, and doing that for a live video show is a smart, smart idea.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So Um,
0: do you have any tips for the rock stars about, you know, they're like, I mean, everybody with a studio, if there's any kind of music scene locally, I've done it and it was a ton of fun to do. And I think it's a great way to, um, create something that kind of gives back to your music community and also brings attention on your studio. I, you know, if you want to start a channel and do some sort of live music thing, what, what are some, some just of the first important things to think about for that to be, uh, you know, a successful, I guess, whatever that means to everybody.
1: You, yeah, I would say, you know, first you make sure it's well done and that, you know, that if you're going to be doing video, that it looks good. If you're doing audio, that sounds good. And that, you know, you're engaging people to help to to share it and support it. Because the last thing you want to do is create something that no one's going to see or hear, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, put time into something that's not going to be successful. So making sure, again, it's the same thing. Is It's like, you know, even though, even with the... In, you know, intention of like, hey, I want to do this to support my community, right? Making sure that you have a game plan slash business plan for that element and that there's a budget for it. So for instance, um, even like I'll give an example, like a, a Asheville music professionals event, right? So we'll have an amp event every month and it might just be a social, but part of creating that and doing that and making sure it's successful is that putting advertising money behind it online. For social media, so that you make sure that people see it. So, you know, we're providing opportunities and experiences and giving knowledge and education to musicians in town. But if they don't know it's happening, then it's not a win win situation for anybody. Mm -hmm. So, there's an element to the fact that we have to put money behind that to make sure that it's seen. So, again, if you're going to create something that you want to be like, hey, this is for the community, this is for the artist, but also benefits the studio or me as a musician or producer engineer, or whatever that may be, making sure you have a game plan of just not being like, well, I'm just going to make it and then put it out there. And I hope people see it because that doesn't, right. you know, it's just, that's sort of the, that's sort of like the number one thing. That's the kiss of death that I see sometimes is that people just think that like, well, if I just make it and put it out there, it'll work. And it's like, no, there's so much. I can tell you for perfect example is somebody who produces festivals and events there's not one way that i can promote the festival right i can't just do it online i can't just do it in print i can't just do it on the radio i have to do all of those things and anybody who's promoting shows venues and that sort of thing they'll tell you that they'll they'll tell you the same thing like when i did the festival i had i had billboards on the street i had media partners for Print and for radio. I had X amount of ads running not only on like, you know, like Facebook and Instagram and paying for those things, but also paying for ads on other people's sites. So, you know, I couldn't just create a festival and just assume everybody was going to show up. I had to do my due diligence to make sure that I got it out there. So, one, create good content that people want to see, and two, make sure you get it out there and easy to find.
0: Nice, and you know, paying for the advertising on social media—not um, to get caught up in that that topic—but I think it just social sh- things like Facebook, for example, have become a place where if you, if you want somebody to see it and you pay for it, then it sort of moves up the feed or it actually gets promoted to people, you know, boosted posts and all that stuff, um, and. I guess you know if you're you're an independent studio and you're trying that stuff and you don't really have much you know you have zero expertise in in the 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 advertising promoting promoting world. Maybe you just try it and you see if you're getting more likes and views and stuff like that. And if you're not, then the other way, uh, then then not promoting it, then try something different.
1: But here's the thing, though, and, and yes, I agree with that. But the thing is, is that we are so spoiled these days that we have YouTube, right? Yeah. Like yeah. you could literally Google, you want to learn how to change your oil? You can find it on YouTube. Yeah. You want to learn the best practices for sponsoring ads on Facebook? You can find it on Google, on YouTube. You know, like there's the internet, you know, the the interwebs is a wealth of knowledge. And so you can literally find anything that you're looking for. Um, somebody else has already cracked the code, most likely, on it. And you can you w- probably watch it and find out for free or pay a small fee if there's something like that. Um, you know, you, you guys have in um, Nashville, for instance, there's the in Network. And I don't know if you're familiar with them. Uh, but Yeah,
0: yeah, we've, we've done a couple of videos over here.
1: Yeah. And so I love made a network and I've actually brought them in to teach, uh, two workshops for us on best practices for YouTube. And so, so here's a perfect example. Like, um, if you go, we, and we, we film all, uh, most of the things that we do for AMP and then we put them online for free so you could literally go to the would well, they all get hosted at um off of IMAVL's page because they're the ones that do all the filming for us but you can be if you're listening to this right now you could literally go to the uh imavl.com channel or the youtube and go to imavl and you'll be able to find uh the youtube workshop that Amelia Sachs taught for us and and watch that for free nice. and that'll tell you how to um, increase your visibility and your music videos or whatever it is that you're putting on YouTube. It might be uh, tutorials, like um, if you're a musician and that's another way that you can, again, find a way to have making you know, a living in music is doing different tutorials on music, whether that's in production or beat making or you know, finger picking, whatever it may be.
0: Um, so rock stars, I'm gonna give you a tip here. Um, I do my best to try and include links to things in the show notes and videos in the playlist. But uh, obviously, we have tons of content on these interviews, especially this one here with Jessica. So do what I used to do, which is when I'm listening to the podcast, I just hit the pause button. And then I flip over to my little note-taking app like Google Keep or Google uh, Docs or whatever it is on your phone jot down the name. And so you can remember where that video was, then come back and listen. So there's my little, there's my ninja tip for listening to podcasts. Um, Jessica, great, great stuff. And we should wrap up and thank you for spending so much time with us. If you don't mind, let me jump into some of the closing questions and we can kind of blast through those quickly if you want. Sure. All right. So when you started out in recording, what was our, well, recording, you know, doing the studio stuff, what do you feel like was holding you back?
1: uh probably just my own personal insecurities about being so new mm-hmm. to it and also I, i'm i'm no stranger to being the only woman in a room <laughs> right <laughs> but it, you know that when i was starting when i was much younger that was definitely an intimidating factor so that was probably mostly what was holding me back and um my mom told me when I was a kid I couldn't carry a tune in the bucket.
0: <laughs> oh no!
1: And uh, I believed it for many years. So if you have kids and you're listening to this, don't tell them things like that because uh, you could scar them for life. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, but I uh, that was definitely um, just just probably my own intimidation was holding me back at first.
0: Um, how about some of the best advice you remember receiving along the way?
1: Uh, one of the best of pieces of advice I ever got was when I got into artist management and I asked another friend of mine who was managing, a, who still is managing a very successful band. He said, Don't do anything once that you're not willing to do a thousand times.
0: Ah, that's good advice.
1: <laughs> right? Meaning, like, don't pick up the damn laundry if you're not uh, dry cleaning if you're not going to do that every time.
0: Um, in my perspective, it's sort of the, the, um, advice that I give sometimes, which is, you know, be careful what you wish for, uh, cause you'll probably get it, you know? Yeah. yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And, and well, actually that's not it exactly, but the idea that like, if you start some project, um, it's, it's probably going to work and you can, you know, consistently do it. It's probably going to work out. So it's that same idea. Like, if you make this live in your studio video with band playing, and you make it once, um, and you try it, you know, a couple of times and and continue, it's probably going to work out. So you're probably going to have to do it a lot, kind of like this podcast.
1: Exactly. Yep. So
0: make sure it's something you really enjoy. Um, how about a tip hack or secret sauce for the studio uh, if you have? One about recording, you're welcome to share that. Or if it's something about how to run the studio, a studio well, you can share that.
1: I will say um, pre-production is is key, is what I want to say. Is that be, you know these? Here's my two sort of rule of thumb for for um, having a you know doing well in the studio is one, be prepared, do your pre-production. But two, also, um, you know, don't get so tied to what you're expectations were going into it, that it, it, um, you know, impedes your process, just meaning that, you know, people come in and they're so dead set on like that, you know, I want it to sound just like this. And this is these expectations of what I have. And, and when things don't go, if things don't go the way that you expect them to just realize that it's okay and that you can get back on track, or things are still going to be fine. It's just a matter of when people just get so hell bent on something and have realistic expectations, you know. When we have somebody come in and and I, f- I feel like a ton of what I do is manage expectations with artists that are coming in, and they're like, "We're gonna we're gonna record thirty seven songs in two days," and I'm like, uh, "That's not setting yourself up for success." <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, it reminds me of some of the first records I made. Realizing that what you think is going to be the best single isn't necessarily always right until you've actually recorded the songs and you start hearing how things are turning out. Um, you know, you can be surprised at which song turns out to be the one that really sounds great on your record. And and by single back then, of course, I just meant like what I thought sounded good. I didn't really know what a a hit song was anyway. But um, also, your comment earlier about setting goals for yourself, and, and the question I wanted to follow up with that was about whether it's okay if we – like, do we have to nail those exact goals, or is it okay if we don't quite get to them? And I feel like you kind of answered that just now by saying, um, you know, you come in with your, ex- your goals or your expectations – maybe make them accurate, but it's also okay to discover that your goal just shifted slightly and it doesn't look like quite what you thought it did. It's like a, a mirage on the horizon and you get closer and it's, it's not a palm tree. It's a, you know, it's a school bus or something like that.
1: Yeah. And I think that's huge. I mean, I think that, you know, you have to, I think anytime you're dealing with any sort of, I mean, really anything, but especially the creative process, is that you just have to trust your instincts and your gut and that sometimes it doesn't end up going where you want it to. And, and just like you said, is like, you know, I've seen it so many times where it's like people come in and are like, this is the song, this is the single, this is what we're going to put so much energy into. And then it doesn't end up being that way. And it, and it ends up being the sleeper track that people are get the most excited about and the artist gets the most excited about. And, and just being open to that. And the same thing with like, yeah, you set goals because you don't want to just sort of be you want to you want to have the vision of like what we're going towards, right? What's the end result? But that might change along the way. I mean, when I was a kid, I thought I when I was in 3rd grade, I wanted to to be a lawyer, I thought. I didn't know a damn thing about being a lawyer. I was like yeah. I could not, not even imagine right now if I was a lawyer, you know. So it's just like it's just like that with anything with and especially with the creative process is like you know um it's okay to to not be okay right it's okay for things to sort of go off track and just sort of see where it leads and 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 trust and trust it and you know it's stay focused yeah and sometimes we learn more from our failures than we do our successes we know this and so you know who knows it's like you're like oh well we didn't get as much done as we thought we didn't in the studio as many songs finished but now we got we got the rhythm tracks for three more songs that we weren't thinking we were going to get, yeah. or it's like, X, like, Y, it's, or Z, you know? It, it's like
0: a guitar solo. The, the great guitar solos are the ones that don't quite go where you expect them to, but you stay with it, you know? And then when you talked about learning from our mistakes, um, same yeah. thing in a song in the recording. It's like, it's those, you know, when you call them happy accidents, yeah. those become the cool thing. And that becomes the new hook for the song, so that's cool, cool insights. Um, what about something that, uh, you know, I like to ask the recording folks, you know, for a favorite hardware tool, but let me just leave it more open-ended for you. Is there anything physical, something that you um, find you, you, you like to have around while you're managing the studio, doing, um, you know, uh, festivals and stuff like that that's always good to have around?
1: Any, uh, any physical tools or anything like that? It's funny when you say like festivals I have a whole festival kit that's just full of all sorts of random things but um no not necessarily in that regard but what I'll tell you just in terms of some of the different uh like one of the things that I love that I'm learning to use more and more is uh, Ableton Live Yeah and and the push um, you know, which is, you know, they call it an instrument. So, but it's basically you can make every sort of kind of music on it that you want to and create all sorts of, um, of beats and music and sounds from scratch. And, um, also I, I, Ableton's I feel like is a really great company. They, yeah. uh, I have a, uh, I've taught an urban music workshop and they've sponsored the program where they've given us Ableton licenses and push units to use to teach to R and B hip hop rap and soul artists. And, um, and it, and it's cool. And I, and I seen how much it's used in the live world, live production, um, I'm I'm pretty stoked to see more integration of of Ableton to Pro Tools in the studio.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love using Ableton Live. I don't use it enough. Um, I spent a little more time teaching myself and learning it um, years ago, but I need to sort of come full circle and use it again. Um, yeah,
1: so it's it's pretty it's pretty cool. It's it's pretty versatile too. And and then the other thing is is that um I use this program when I'm traveling, um, called Gadget. And so I don't know if you know, uh, gadget is, uh, so I, when I'm sitting on a plane, I'm on my iPad, I'm making beats and things like that with it and just oh, nice. sort of nerding out and having fun. Cause you can, it basically lets you, um, there's all these different sort of, uh, synthesizers and different, uh, drum machines and things like that, that you can use to build tracks in. So it's, it's fun and super easy to use. And
0: that's on your iPhone.
1: I put it on, I have it on my iPad, so on your iPad. Okay. Yeah. It's so when funny. I'm on a plane, I use it.
0: <laughs> I do the same thing. I break out my iPhone and start trying to like figure out the little music apps whenever I'm on a plane. I, I like that I'm, uh, something about being flying through the air, I feel disconnected from all the stuff that maybe stresses me out on the ground and something from being, uh, about being disconnected from the internet too, I think helps with that.
1: Yeah, me too. And I love it. I love just being able to like nerd out and figure out how things work and explore these different sounds in a way that's just in my own little world while people are sitting next to me thinking I'm crazy.
0: Um, now, how about an online resource or or tip for the business side of running things? Any, any advice or tools you like to use that you want to hit the rock stars to?
1: Uh, I mean, p- pretty much, you know, just I live and die by Google Docs. Mm -hmm. So that's probably one of my great things. Another thing is is, um, if you have a number of different projects going on or different clients, Toggle is a really great online resource. And it basically allows you to uh, track your time. Mm -hmm. uh, And it's free. And so you can basically... Uh, track your time and color code thing. Color code things in terms of like, oh, this is me working with, you know, for me, it's like, oh, one of the ways that I do it is to make sure that I see. So for instance, if I take on a client, like I did the RHS Community Foundation, I work with Gladys Knight and did uh, a benefit concert for her and raised some money so that I can see how much time I'm putting into a project. And it'll also help you to figure out to make sure that you're um, um, quoting the appropriate, you know, knowing your worth. And like, if you know that you want to make an average of $65 an hour and you can use Toggle for doing a project, and this is especially great if you're just getting started and mm-hmm. seeing how much time you're spending on a project and you're like, whoa, I just spent way more time in, on that than I anticipated. And I only asked for X amount of dollars, you know, better for next time to, uh, you know, basically anticipate how much time and energy a project's going to take you and to quote appropriately on that.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. And it, it's something that takes – you have to be patient with and it takes a little bit of practice and you have to be forgiving through the beginning of that process. I far, self-forgiving.
1: <laughs> you have but. to be self-forgiving. And that's the other part too. If it's just a, Also, if you're trying to find the balance in your life, and that's a really good way to do it too. Say you're an artist and you're like, you know, I want to make sure that I'm not spending – too much time on booking or promoting my shows or how much time am I spending on social media, toggle it, you know, and then you can look at the end of a week, it'll give you a graph and you'll be able to say, whoa, I spent way more time on booking than I did actually writing this week. So, you know, is that
0: something where you, where you sort of turn the timer on project by project?
1: Yeah. So you got it. You have to train yourself to get used to doing that, but you know, it it takes a little bit, but once you do, you sort of get used to it. And and again, like anything, I'm, I'm a big fan of to-do lists and routines and things like that. So figuring that sort of thing out where, you know, it's like I have my routine that I do when I get up in the morning and then I have, you know, the first thing I do every day or the last thing I do every night is make my to-do list. Dang it. Um, I'm I am a huge fan of working hey. out.
0: Hey Jessica. Yeah. You you dropped out for a sec, but oh. um but I Are, think it's okay. I think what you said at the beginning and then then just cutting over to working out is probably fine.
1: Yeah.
0: You were talking okay. about your morning routine.
1: Yeah, just morning routine. And so it's like I'm a huge fan of 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 routines and that. So, you know, also I'm a huge fan of working out. So for instance, like you know, putting that into your schedule and putting that into your routine will help you to make sure that you make that a priority.
0: Great advice. Um, Let's jump to the final question here. Uh, We're going to take the Wayback Studio Machine, and you're going to go back in time, find young Jessica, probably singing hip-hop songs. (laughs) And you say, listen, girl, here's the uh, single most important thing you need to know to be a rock star of the recording studio yourself one day. What advice would you give yourself if you could?
1: I would say probably that not to take anything personally. So I would say that was a big aha moment for me in life in general when I realized that most of anything from everybody, anybody around you has their own uh, own things going on and their own driving forces by, behind what they're doing and that they're saying. And most of the time it doesn't have anything to do with you. Right. And so I, I think that that's a good rule of thumb. Um you know, I've sort of, over the years, in terms of self-awareness, like taught myself to step back and go, "What is this?" And so when I'm having an inter- interaction and 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 how this especially pertains to a studio is that when you're dealing with a client and or you're dealing with uh, staff or an engineer or whoever or an owner or whatever, When somebody's behavior seems weird or or is not, you know, whatever it may be, whether it's weird or unkind or mean or angry or whatever it is, it's usually because that person has something going on, right? And so to, to not take it personally and be able to step back and be able to say, you know, ask yourself, like, what is this to help you be able to do, you know, to do your best job, to show up the best way that you can. And, and come from a place of compassion when you're dealing with people.
0: I think that's very, very wise advice and a great note to close this fantastic and fantastically long podcast on. So <laughs> Jessica, thank you so much for taking time out and and hanging with us for a couple of hours like this. It's, you're just a fountain of wisdom.
1: Oh, thanks, Lidge. I appreciate it. I'm I'm really glad that I got to do it.
0: Um, Our pleasure to have you on the show. Please let the rock stars know how they can find you online, connect with you, learn more about some of these fantastic things that you're involved in.
1: Absolutely. Well, you can find me on social media, of course. Uh, You can find me through any, either just my name, Jessica Thomason, or... Echo Mountain or Connect Beyond Festival, any one of those ways, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram. If you go to the echomountain.net website, if you email through the website, it'll come to me directly.
0: All right, cool. And then Rockstars, of course, a reminder, I've included links in the show notes. So if you're on your mobile device, just click through. If you're uh, um, on your computer, just be at rsrockstars.com. Search for Jessica Thomason, T-O-M-A-S-I-N and um we'll have the youtube playlist there too which includes like jessica's tedx speech and and other things like that um and jessica i, I look forward to seeing you in person again I, I don't know how soon we'll do it but uh but i will see you either in nashville or nashville
1: awesome well thanks i hope so i'll be back there in 2 weeks i'll be there okay, cool. i'll be there for like 5 or 6 days so
0: well that's awesome and that'll be old news by the time this comes out so <laughs> great right, stuff right. Um, Thanks, and uh, we'll see you around the studio.
1: All right, thanks, Lich.
0: Cheers. Bye Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Recording Studio Rockstars. If you enjoyed the show and want to help make it better, then please share this episode with your friends on social media and leave a rating and review on iTunes to help the podcast reach more rock stars like yourself. You can click directly over to iTunes or go to rsrockstars.com review for an easy explanation. And remember to hit the subscribe button to keep up with weekly episodes. And if you're ready to make your best record ever now, then head over to Recording Studio Rockstars Academy, where you can start with my a free course at mixmasterbundle.com, and if you want more free content from Recording Studio Rockstars, all you have to do is go to rsrockstars.com/email. Again, that's rsrockstars.com/email to enter your name and email, and I'll keep you in the loop with articles, videos, podcast updates, and even free gear giveaways for your studio. Just look for the link in the show notes below. Thanks so much for listening, and thanks for being a rockstar. I'm Lyd Shaw, and this is Recording Studio Rockstars. Now go! make great music.